Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind, I'm Paul John Dykes and today I am delighted to be joined by Brian and Lawrence for an impromptu Saturday bulletin. How are you doing guys? Great, absolutely brilliant. Um, nice sunny day, day off, not much to do in the house, football's on later. Can't complain. 
Well, this is the thing. We're going to continue with the bulletins throughout the pre-season. Um, now, the, the actual headline tells you 38 days until the qualifier, so there's plenty to discuss between now and then. 106 days after the departure of Neil Lennon, we announced the arrival of Ange Postecoglou. He has been on the uh, you know the subject header for the last two weeks, I think, on a Celtic state of mind and on various other platforms. We're going to be talking about the new gaffer, but everything else that this rebuild entails. Now, first and foremost, most, Brian, you've had a bit of time to digest the fact that uh, Ange, he's not yet in the building, but he's got the job. He's addressed the Celtic fans. He calls himself the boss. Now, in the last week or so, we've spoken to uh, Jared from Celts Down Under, who gave us an Australian perspective on his time over there and, and uh, managing the, the national side. We then spoke yesterday to Dan from the Japanese Times, who scared the life out of us with some of the things he was telling us about uh, Ange over in Japan we're trying to get a balanced view um, do you understand do you do you appreciate the, the kind of fears and the concerns amongst a lot of the Celtic fans with this appointment Brian absolutely um, like any like any aspect of life it's it's fear of the unknown isn't it we don't really know what we're getting um, we're either getting Brendan Rodgers football or we're getting Tony Mowbray football I, I think that's the, the going to be the, the extreme um, what I've been sort of digesting. I've been looking at a lot of what people have said about him in interviews and the commonalities across maybe five, six, seven different interviews over various years are all kind of the same. He's um, he's, he's determined, plays good football, it's his way of the highway, Doesn't he, you know, he's not the strongest defensively and things take time. So part of that I'm excited by, as I said, uh, said last time I was on, I'm excited that he's coming in, it's going to be something new, something something sort of revolutionary, hopefully. I think that he's going to come in and it's going to be, you know, Angie's team, he'll decide. I like the fact he calls himself the boss and he makes players call him boss. I think that's all right. I, I, I'm, I'm on board with that. Where I'm concerned is the, the defensive side of things mm-hmm. and the timing side of things. You know, I think we'll probably talk more later about the, the timing side of things and expectations, but that that's my big concerns is the defensive naivety because maybe domestically we can get away with that but we will get handed handed our backsides in Europe if we, if we go in there with, with naivety and so yeah so I understand both I, I'm still quite quite excited about things but I totally understand why people are nervous this is the thing I'm looking at the uh, experience I've had as a Celtic supporter and all the various managerial appointments that I've experienced you know going right back to the departure I guess of uh, Billy McNeil first time round vaguely remember Davy Hay Big Billy comes back I remember that vividly and then after that the whole procession uh, some, some of whom were, were really kind of high risk Liam Brady comes in he's a rookie manager massive risk um, and then we go into the doldrums uh, everybody uh, of a certain vintage will remember it Lawrence you know going through Lou McCary um, there was a period there where Frank Connor managed for a few games Joe Jordan managed for a game Billy Stark took over when, when Tommy left um, and then another couple of high risk appointments some worked out Vim Janssen some didn't um, but for me when I'm looking at Ange Postacoglu and I've said this time and time again it's not a disrespectful attitude that I've got again against Ange I think uh, the most similar appointment that we have had 
um, at any time in the club's history is probably Ronnie Dyla. Would you agree with that? And do you think, Lawrence, that it's all about the timing and that's why the concerns are, are rising to the surface here? Definitely agree most similar to uh, Dyla. Uh, it is a bit to do with timing, but it's also to do with what other changes going on at the club. Uh, are we really changing anything? Have we just put, put on another cheap option manager? Are we going to actually change the structures at the club? I think there's huge concerns about, well, Lenny's came out and said, you know, background staff, they weren't his own. I don't know any circuit sport that thinks staff should be foisted upon a man, manager. Uh, it didn't appear to work under Lenny. Uh, but I, I think there's a, a whole range of things, you know, we didn't do the 10. But for me, it's structurally, where's the club going? If it... You know, they were talking bringing him how and giving him his own background staff and his own director yeah. of football. Mm-hmm. If that was the right structure then, why is it not the right structure under Ange? If that's the right structure for a football club, why is it now changed? Mm-hmm. Has it changed? I, I, I don't know. Are they, are they going to bring a director of football? Who knows? Uh, Celtic's communications, I suppose, somewhat lacking, isn't it? We don't know if they're looking for one or not looking for one. Well, this, is, this was the thing. It was a major restructure, Brian, and we uh, heard about part of this restructure being a director of football part of the Eddie Howe deal being that he was selecting his own director of football that surprised quite a lot of Celtic fans uh, Fergal Harkin had been discussed in relation to other managers who might have been coming in all of a sudden we have an appointment of a manager and no mention of a director of football no mention of a head of recruitment for example um, does it do, in your mind do you think that Celtic have, have changed direction here at the last minute and said right well we're all in with Eddie Howe and all his staff including a director of football however we're going to play it a little bit safer here we're bringing in Ange I mean, from what we're hearing here, there's there's mixed, there's actually been mixed reports. Uh, some people are saying that John Kennedy and Strachan will be part of his backroom team. Others are saying that he's not. Do you think there's been a huge shift in direction here? I think yes and no. I actually think that going back to what their original plan would have been. I think when they were going to get rid of Lennon and Lowell was leaving, they sort of decided to, to modernise the club, as they keep saying. And I think they were going to get a director of football, head of recruitment, sporting director, canteen director, whatever you call them. I think there was that was the plan. I think when Eddie Howe was going to come in, he basically said, I want my version of all of that. And I think that's why guys like Harkin and stuff were sort of put to the side because they were relying on Howe. Now that that's not happened, I, I think they're actually going back to that. I think getting mm-hmm. Andrew in is the first stage to try and rebuild the squad and, and start to stabilise the playing side of things because that's the most time sensitive. The reason I, I, um, I, I think it's going to take longer than a season for the rebuild because I think they're going to have to recruit a director of football, head of recruitment, sports scientists, videos, all that, that modernisation over the course of this season. And I think Angie's going to basically steady the playing side where they work in the background to do everything else. So I think they I think they've still got a plan in place. Obviously they're secret I'm telling us. I've got my own theory about the director of football, as I'd mentioned before. I think um I think Mark Lowell has got a lot to do with it. I mm. think that's where City Link comes from. I don't think it was Harkin, I think it's been um Lowell Jr. who's been responsible. Um and I think there's a lot of communication through him. May not be him that takes the job, but I think they're they're leaning on him. For a lot of these things, um, yeah, I think that I think there's still there's so much change, so much research just still to come. I don't think they've deviated from it. I just think they've had to basically 
almost stall it for the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when you, you've mentioned the personnel there, and I wanted to go through that. A, a, a few weeks ago, Colin and I did a very similar bulletin on a Saturday, and we went through the entire playing staff, Brian, and we, we had a kind of brutal view on it. Who's going to stay? Who's going to go? How many players will we need to recruit this pre-season? And it, it ranged from 12 to 18 players, and we looked at the entire squad. I'm talking all the all the young players, all the fringe players who might have been leaving Celtic Park. And then, even back then, we're thinking, well, this is a, an, a major rebuild just on personnel on the plain side of things, that's before you start talking about, as you say, the dietitians, sports scientists, physiotherapists and everything else that comes with the staff that a manager normally has now with a, a big football club. And we are calling this one of the biggest jobs in world football. That was part of the statement. So if that is the case, we could, and I'm going to run through the areas of the, the playing staff and we'll have a look at uh, a kind of idea as to how big this rebuild is going to be with 38 days to the first qualifier there's no way, I think, that we will be able to replace everybody that's leaving. There is going to be a patchwork operation, I think, for the first qualifier. And how frustrating is that after nine years of domestic domination that we're still patching a team together and particularly a defence together for the first European game. So what we'll do is we'll run through um, each of the areas of the park. Starting off... I mean, this is interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on the Euros a wee bit here. Scotland's, one of Scotland's goalkeepers, Craig Gordon. We keep talking, Lawrence Conley, around the Fraser Foster issue. Foster leaving. Um, I think that Craig Gordon leaving was part of the fact that we thought Foster was coming back in. He is still performing and performing at a high, high level. Meanwhile, we've got three goalkeepers that you could see are part of the first team squad in Barkas, Bain and Hazard. How is that looking for us going into the first qualifier? There's still a question mark around Barkas, whether or not he's going to make a return to Greece. If that's the case, Scott Baines your number one for the first qualifier in the Champions League, isn't he? Well, if I was to look at the three of them, ordinarily you can hold Bain. What's his future in the club? For me, he's never first choice. I should never be first choice. We don't think he's got quality. The age he's at, we're not going to develop him. We've got Hazard, we can be developing. God knows with the Greek boy if he's if, he, if he's a goalkeeper. Never mind if he's come back. Uh, I, you know, the last couple of games have kind of looked okay. The Lions get a performance out of him. Was it settling in? Was it COVID? I don't know. But yeah, it, it's a worry get in for me. For I, any of those three, his first choice keeper. Whether you know the Greek boy stays because we don't know enough about him. Young Hazard, he looks a wee bit suspect when he's coming for balls. Mm-hmm. He doesn't command his box well, and maybe he's needing kind of game time to solve that. Uh, and for, for me, Bain's just not off the standard. So, probably that position. It is a concern, Brian. I'll come to yourself now. I look at the, the we've got three goalkeepers. We'll come on to the Colts as well because Lawrence has uh, left us just so he can get rid of that helicopter sound that's coming through his mic. Um, we'll look at the Colts as well because I think that's going to be really relevant when we're assessing or when Ange Postacoglu's assessing the squad, he knows that there's going to have to be a Colts team and there's going to be fringe players who will be part of that team. So we'll come into that in a, a moment or so. And I know that there are other goalkeepers at the club, but going into uh, four competitions, 
Um, you would expect to have three goalkeepers and I still think that at this stage isn't it a concern that we're still wondering who the first choice is I mean Hazard he came in he played a massive part in the Scottish Cup win which sealed the quadruple treble people were critical of at least one of the goals that he lost in the game but he'd done so so well in the penalty shootout he was the first choice then Barkas apparently was the first choice Neil Lennon came out and said he was his first choice goalkeeper then he was dropped again so so last season it was game time for, for three different goalies yet I don't think anyone's any clearer as to who's the number one what's your take on that should we try and cut our losses on Barkas and bring a new keeper in yeah, well, in terms of the three keepers, uh, Bain shouldn't have been anywhere near a Celtic side to begin with. He, for me, he's buying average at best. Um, Hazard, I think, is actually the best at three. I think you can get something out of him. Um, he's got a bit of physicality, um, but like Fraser Foster at first, actually. Remember Big Foster was absolutely awful at crosses when he first came in, remember? And he couldn't, um, kick, he couldn't kick a ball. He couldn't kick a ball. Um, Hazard could, could develop into that. Mm-hmm. Barkas, for me, apart from his short sorting ability, which we've not seen enough of, he just he doesn't inspire any sort of confidence. I mean, I'm a little guy, I'm like five foot six. If I was a striker against Barkas, I'd be comfortable knocking him around. Mm-hmm. I, it just doesn't look like he's going to come in and command a box to me. My only slight concern is that Poster Cobbler doesn't seem too concerned that his keepers actually been good keepers. He likes them to come out with the ball at their feet and be a sweeper keeper, which right. apparently is Barkas's strength. So I, I think he will be there and I think he'll get a chance whether he should. No, for me, I would switch him out. Um, but, you know, the thing about who's going to be the first choice keeper, it really depends on, on Ange. I mean, Neil Lennon didn't seem to have a, a, an idea who he was who he was playing, who he wasn't playing, who he was told to play, probably. So we don't really know who Ange sees his first choice. My feeling is it would be Barkas, um, just because I think he fits the description of the keepers Costa Coglu likes. Mm. Yeah, you're right. So playing from the back, like the sweeper keeper, uh, which incidentally didn't suit how we were playing last season, which is maybe one of the reasons why um, his Celtic career didn't, didn't take off. Now, a bigger concern even than that, in my eyes, is the defensive situation. So I've had a look at the, the squad, the wider squad, and I think this is as wafer-thin a Celtic defence as I've ever seen. Now, we've already heard that Chris Ayer, obviously on international duty, sees it as an opportunity to be a wee bit more free-talking than on the official club channels. And he's spoken about his desire to leave this pre-season. Um, what I'm unhappy with is the, the kind of fees that I'm, I'm hearing. I know it's just speculation, Brian, but you've heard some of the fees around IR who obviously had been linked and the link is no longer an active one previously with AC Milan. Uh, Look, Salt and Kenny are way back to their respective uh, clubs and we wish them all the best because they weren't going to have a career at Celtic Park. And we know the situation with Jack Hendry, currently out there uh, playing for Scotland in the Euros. Um 
it's not been confirmed yet, but we're expecting the Ostend deal to, to go ahead and they will probably flip that and make a few quid on the back of Jack Kendry's performances over the last year and potentially in this tournament as well. I've got a question mark around Ralston. Not quite sure if he's still in the building or if we're going to terminate the last year of his deal to allow him to go and speak out to other clubs. O'Connor's coming back in, finds himself the first choice right back after 40-odd appearances with Tranmere. We've got Welsh, who's got some vital experience this season or the season past. Julian's out until October. Taylor at left back. And then you start looking at players like Bolingoli and Leo Held. Leo Held, a 17-year-old who, fair enough, he's got experience in the Scottish Premiership. But really, if you're looking at the two centre-halves being Welsh and Held, it shows you just how wafer-thin our defence is. That's before we look at Beaton. I've got him in the midfielders, uh, probably much to the annoyance of Kevin Graham, who says that he is now a centre-half. I've still got him in the, the midfield. But if you try and have a look at the defence then, in 38 days' time, and I'm going to come to yourself, Lawrence, in just a second, we could be looking at a defence of Leo Connor, who's never kicked a ball for Celtic Football Club, Stephen Welsh, uh, near Beaton, and left-back Taylor, if he's back and fit from the Euros. Uh, that is, for me, the weakest Celtic defence I can remember, and I've seen a few weak defences at Celtic Park. I wouldn't have any worries about Taylor. Uh, we'll probably lose, you know, the other three are the first team starters and I would say they're far from it you know Welsh didn't have a bad season but I wouldn't have said he had a good one I wouldn't have said he's nailed down a first team start position right back as you said Connor's not kicked the ball you know he was either rated at Man United before he came up he's been at Tranmere but he's been playing the defensive mid as well as right back mm-hmm. he yelled it, you know it, it looked okay the next Van Dyke. well it looked okay in patches of games I don't, you know, not in full 90 minutes so far, so just touched on he's young and he needs to learn, but Jesus, would you want him defending 40 million? Well, th- this is the big question, and we'll go on to the, the swing in finances from Celtic Park to Ibrox, and this is how it's so important to get our act together and actually have a team on a park that is going to give us a fighting chance. Now, there are, and I understand and I appreciate there are other players, but I've put them into the Colts category, Brian, because we're going to be talking about the Colts. Guys, maybe like you and Otu, who had uh, a good spell, a very good spell at Clyde last season, 17-year-old. I don't see him being part of the first team at Celtic at this stage and I would expect him to form part of the wider Colts squad so it's pretty concerning when you look at that defence that either for a backup or for a first choice we need a right back a left back two centre halves this week on the marketers report Patrizio Spagnoletto global chief marketing officer direct to consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery weighs in on building trust Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. 
the best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Yeah, it's um, one of the interesting things. When, so I, I have, in various times over the past month or so, is sketched out what I think the score is going to look like and what we need. Now, what we need is essentially 11 new players. I think we'll be lucky to get that. Um, I, come on to, I might come on to this point later, but I, th- I think the, the club's preparing for downsizing, the looks of it. Mm-hmm. I think we will have to recruit positions, but I think overall they're going to cut the squad down considerably. So I think you see a lot of bodies leaving. To go back to the actual question, we need at least two centre-halves. Although Julian's going to be coming back, you're probably looking at Julian and someone else is your first choice with Henry and the other centre-half is your second choice partnership. And um, <clears throat> Helge is your sort of cover for any injuries. You need two centre-halves minimum. Left-back, will Ball and Golly stay? Postacoglu is no bias against him. He didn't do it into his season, so will he stay or will he be told to, to punt him? I don't know. But I think that'd be a straight replacement it's covered anyway. I think you're probably good money for Bollingoli. So actually left back, I'm not too worried about right back. Now that's a concern. We haven't know had a good right back at Celtic since Mikhail Lustig. Hundred percent. I mean, it we've just not. Before him, Adam Matthews, maybe. Maybe. Um, Leo Connor, I think he probably do a job actually. I think he's actually quite high rated, and you know, if this, obviously you only watch some highlights on YouTube, but he's a good crossing ability. Um, he looks athletic, boy. So I think as cover, that's all right. But I think you need to invest in a, a real solid, strong right back. Actually, given the way Postecoglou is supposed to play, that could be the position you have to spend the most money on. If you look at you know the two fullback areas, yeah. yeah. A lot of pace, a lot of crosses in. So the investment, I think the money that we spend will all go to the defence, which then leaves a worry for the rest of the team, which we'll get to later. But I think, yeah, two centre-backs minimum, a real, real top-quality right-back, and possibly a left-back is cover. I mean, I, I think back right back to the old fanzine days and the old quip, does he play left back? Because we used to always struggle for left backs. And then all of a sudden we had a, a, a couple that, that fared us pretty well in Izzy Geary and then, and then Kieran Tierney. Since Tierney's left, and I know uh, Lawrence a big fan of uh, Greg Taylor, and I'm not criticising Taylor, um, but we really haven't had that first pick left back. Taylor's been in and out the side you know, like Salt comes in, you would think on big money coming in from AC Milan, didn't work out. And you're right about the right-backs, Brian. I mean, since Lustig, you've had Toyan, who was an €8 million Euro player that Borussia Dortmund had spent big money on, didn't work out. Maurice Bayer, who had played at a high, high level, thought he was a good crosser of the ball, I've got to say, but, you know, he did, it didn't work out for him. And then Kenny comes in, even Frimpong. Uh, you know, in terms of his defensive ability. And I know that he's gone on and had a big money move elsewhere. So huge investment in the defensive areas. Um, I've seen a lot of talk 
around, all right, well, Ange Postacoglu's uh, Australian, so is Tommy Rogic. That means that we've got a new player in Tom Rogic and he's going to perform tremendously well as soon as Ange is in the building. And we all know it doesn't really work like that. But when we look at the midfield, El Yunusi, there's not really been much chat around El Yunusi. I, I think uh, a few months ago there was talk about a £5 million option to buy him. It's gone a bit quiet. In Cham, there's talk about his last year, his deal getting ripped up and him going to AK Athens. Ryan Christie looking to impress in the Euros, could be on his way out. And the chat around Marion Sved is that he could be leaving as well. So there's another four players uh, away from the squad, leaving us with uh, Sorrow, McGregor, Turnbull, Tommy Rogic, Johnson, Forrest, Shaw and Beaton. Uh, and again, it's leaving us wafer thin. Now, if we look at Liam Shaw's performances last season for Sheffield Wednesday, um, he's either utilised as a central midfielder, Lawrence, or an attacking midfielder. Um, I'm looking at Mikey Johnson, who didn't get a huge amount of game time. I've not mentioned Dembele, young Dembele, who came in for a couple of appearances at the end of last season. Again, where are we strengthening here? Because, I mean, Brian says we need a, a whole new defence. We certainly strengthened in the, the midfield areas and particularly in the wide areas don't we yeah Larry was on record said he wanted two riders in loan to cover because only Johnston Forrest at that time and who knows if Mike is going to make it you know James has got his injury programmes if that's what we're going for a full season with we're not going to get a full season out of both of them don't think we get a full season out of two to put together so you know we're definitely need strength and wide we also forgot in midfield, Luke O'Connell's coming back as well, isn't he? So we've a large number of kind of in the centre. It's, do we have a large number that's good enough or that we'd count as first team starters? Turnbull McGregor in the centre of starters. Do you think Forrest and his fits get positioned nailed down and wide? Anyone else that's really pushing that you're thinking he should be starting definitely? There's a, few, yeah, there's a few players, uh, Brian, who have got either first-team experience at Celtic or elsewhere, Luke O'Connell being one that Lawrence quite rightly mentions. And they're at an age, I mean, where's, where's Connell now? 21, Luke O'Connell. You've got Scott uh, Robertson, played for the first team, 19. He went out to Doncaster, went out to Gillingham. Uh, Kerr McEnroy, 20-year-old, he's uh, gone out to Dunfermline. Jonathan Afolabi, 21. I mean, around about that age, you're, like, you're thinking, well... You know, he's either in the first team or his Celtic career is probably coming to to a, a close. And you've also got Ewan Henderson at 21, younger brother of Liam. Um, these are the type of players that are probably a year or two too old for the coach team. I mean, the coach team, I'm guessing at that level, you're probably looking mainly under 18 level. Um, I certainly wouldn't expect many of the players to be over the age of 20 and a lot of these kind of younger fringe players who've been out on loan Brian are at that age I mean if they're not part of the first team it's probably best for their own careers if they if they move on and get first team football elsewhere is there any from the, those names that you think might be part of the, the first team squad going forward we've heard Ange Postacoglu talking about the importance of youth and developing the youth system I think probably Scott Robertson's the one that, that sort of stands out um, I think he's a good season on loan. I think he was kind of on the fringes of the first team before he went. He's sort of holding midfielder. He's a bit of a presence about him. I think he might come in. But see, just in terms of numbers we need for that midfield. So, again, I think it's going to be maximum two players for a position. I think they'll really stream, streamline the squad. So you're talking Turnbull and Rogic in that number 10. 
mm-hmm. and you, you force it box to box. Our sitting midfielders are going to be Sorrow, McGregor, the big boy Shaw, who's an unknown quantity, and then maybe one of the loanees coming back. So, um, in terms of the wide players, I think you'll have Dumbelli and Forrest in the right. Uh, Johnson on the left so you need a left winger at least or something mm-hmm. can play both sides and you probably need a, a holding midfielder with a bit of presence so that's another two my worry is that they'll see that as a luxury my worry is they'll say well Sorrow and McGregor can probably do it they'll stay fit for most of the season we don't really need to strengthen anymore and, and I think that's that's my worry if you spend a lot of money at the back it's going to get neglected mid out of front because the, the idea is well Turnbull McGregor Sorrow that's a really good trio and it is but they're also all apart from McGregor Sorrow and Turnbull are still young guys mm-hmm. they're going to be inconsistent they might get injuries and if you're playing in four competitions as you say hopefully four competitions you're going to need more but that's why I think that some of the academy guys will be drafted in just as cover I think anyone, I don't see them buying anyone they think is just cover. I think they'll have their two players for every position and if someone gets injured, they'll just grab one of the kids in and put them in because they'll, they'll not see it as a priority. That's just my opinion. Um, but again, long-winded answer, but I think you're looking at a, a holding player with a, a bit of presence because McGregor and Sora are too small physically for me in that role. Um, and I think you need a life winger. <laughs> I don't think Johnson's consistent enough, and I don't know if it will be, if I'm honest. No, the, the, my biggest disappointment, I think, uh, upon his return, is he was at that stage, I think, Brian, where you remember Christie going out to Aberdeen, and he came back, and he, he had transformed physically. You know, he was one of these guys, a skinny guy, um, who had gone out, he'd come in from Inverness, gone back out there, come back, and away to Aberdeen, and he made a massive impression uh, with the Dons. But when he comes back, he's put on a stone and a half in weight, um, probably all muscle. And you could tell. And his performances um, improved, uh, you know, drastically, dramatically when he came back. We'll remember the semi-final at Murrayfield. But after that, he became a pivotal member of the Celtic squad. I was expecting something similar, I guess, with Mikey, and I know he's quite slight, but he's at that age now where, you know, he's been away um, with a long-term injury and it, it might have given him an opportunity to really develop that physical aspect of his game. Is he too lightweight? You know, you compare him to El Yunusi, for example. I know El Yunusi divided opinion, but he, he had the physical presence, you know, and I think a lot of his goals as a result of that were probably um, aerial duels that he won. I mean, there was plenty others that he didn't and he should have scored far more with his head but he was a presence and he was an attacking force I don't see that I think Mikey Johnson's got the jinkiness he's got the tricks and all that kind of stuff very entertaining player on his game but there was that opportunity for me I felt within the last season or two for him to really come back strong I've not seen it yet and it's a bit disappointing because I love seeing guys like Mikey and Jamesy coming through and, and being our first picks uh, Stephen James comes in welcome back to the show Stephen even Ralston's still on Celtic's books. He is. And I just think, you know, he's a guy that Brennan Rogers rated and regarded very, very highly. I think he was rewarded uh, with a you know, five-year deal, wasn't he? You know, following the performances against Alexei Neymar at PSG. Five-year deal. He's played very little football since then. So we're looking at a lot of these positions where we're thinking, right, we need one, at least one in that area, maybe two. But as you say, Brian, that, that might result in us 
bringing in 12 players and to actually try and get a mould of 12 players is going to be nigh on impossible we've seen how difficult it was last season with six that brings us up to the attacking options of which there are very very few I'll come to yourself first Lawrence it would appear that Griffiths' contract has ended there was a, a wee bogus tweet came out and disappeared just as quickly from his brother um, we knew that he was, his deal was up on the 31st of May no doubt he'll go uh, to a club such as Aberdeen or, or Hibs and be a revelation with them you know he's, he's going to score 20 goals a season Lee Griffiths in the Scottish League but that actually leaves us if Edouard leaves and we're expecting him to with Bio and a Yeti so when you're looking at that and I, I mean I don't know if the plans are to bring Bio back Lawrence we need another couple of strikers as well without doubt I mean anything I've seen a Bio in French second division I wouldn't be bringing him back as a first choice striker for Celtic uh, you know let's try and get some money back in him I think that was another player that was bought without the manager's involvement Mm-hmm. which hopefully is something we're going to stop a Yeti you know first four games five games three or four goals but he, looked part, he looked apart in the first half a dozen games Lawrence absolutely effort's questionable which mm-hmm. I really hate a player you know it's it's the minimum we should expect is 100% effort and yeah I'd be shocked if we even saw 70 or 80% of effort out of it yeah, even when he was looking apart he didn't seem a lot of guy that was busting a gut for you and if Angie's going to play a pressing game he's going to need a striker that's going to put some effort in so Eddie goes you know whatever kind of figure we get it's not going to be the 40 million that was once talked about no if it's 15, 18 million where do we go from there what does that buy us these days and uh, you know there's rumours a couple of boys in Japan looking to come over but would they make the grade and it's it's one of those ones if Griffith's been let go you've touched on it you know he's 20 goals if you can get him playing you know he's 20 goals in, in Scotland the guys you begin you don't know if they're 10 goals in Scotland never mind 20 so uh, yeah you know as much as uh, we've talked about Andy and his teams are scoring enough goals and defence takes care of itself Kenny needs somebody that's going to score the goals for us to do that well, again, we, we spoke long and hard around the benefits he may be keeping Lee Griffiths. I'm going to come to Brian here because, you know, I've spoken uh, about this time and time again, Brian, in relation to Lee Griffiths. And it was almost like, you know, that, that safe pair of hands, if you like. So I thought to myself, bring in uh, maybe another striker. But we know that Edward's leaving. Keep Lee Griffiths. Because at the moment, we've gone from having Clamalla, Bio, who was out on loan, Griffiths, Ayeti and Edward, to Bio and Ayeti. You know, probably two of the worst of the five. I mean, how many goals does £5 million from an EPL side give you? Well, last season, what did, it, what did Ayeti get last season? Six. So he didn't even hit double figures. So what... what Lawrence is saying is spot on. You've got a player in Lee Griffiths, and we know that you let the gaffer down, he let the club down, he let the supporters down because he wasn't fit enough. And he had to take ownership of that and take responsibility for that. But if he goes away and scores 20 goals, which he, he's done at every club, he'd done it at Livingston, Dundee, he'd done it at Hibs, um, he scored a goal every two games at Wolves, he's done it with Celtic. If he goes away and does that, how much money do we spend to replace a 20 goal a season striker? It's the Marketers Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto 
Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Well, the, the thing about just, I'll just touch on Griffiths quickly because you've kind of covered it and I sort of agree. This is going to sound like a weird comparison, but I remember when Michael Owen played for Man United. And I think they got him in a free, and he'd had his injury problems. And Alex Ferguson, when he asked, when he was asked about him, said, "Well, I can have him in my squad. He's not cost me anything, and he'll guarantee me ten to fifteen goals a season." Mm-hmm. Griffith should have been the same. He's not costing us anything. You know, he gives you goals. His attitude might not be great. Fair enough. He might not be fit. Whatever. He might have these issues, but he'll give you goals. A yeti for me. I actually think a, a manager. Can you get a good tune out of Yeti? I think there's a player in there. I think he's got the attributes of a good player. But if we look at this through the optics of Angie Postecoglou's team, the way he wants his front players to move and run in power, that's not his game. So I think even if he had a good season last season, I think he'd be off. Bio, no, don't don't kid me on. Um, the boy Nesbitt, we should have got him in. A month ago, because I think he'll have a good Euros. I think he'll score a couple of goals. If he scores against England, you're not getting him for two million. No. You're just, you're no. just not. So, you know, it almost raises a bigger issue for me is the fact that how many times over the years has Celtic never had a striker in reserve, like a young striker coming through the ranks? Absolutely. Remember, the last player I remember there was a striker that came through the reserves that they called on was Mark Aitchison. became the youngest player at school for Celtic, remember? And he went to Forest Green or something? Forest Green, and is he not now at Barnsley? Barnsley, something he like that. He went to Barnsley, yeah. Yep. And that was what? He was something, sort of about five years ago, something like that, six years ago. That was the last time he had an actual striker. And yeah, Ronnie, Ronnie Dyla's last game? Was it Ronnie Dyla's last yeah, game? You no, know, he gave me his debut, that's right. Yeah, yep. So, I mean, that's insanity. And it speaks to the big issue of the problems at Celtic just now. Absolutely. Um, but I, see, I have to agree with both of you. I think up front, you're basically starting to scratch. I, I think he's, you're almost saying, right, get rid of every striker we've got and try and get three strikers in. You know, at a complete back four. Mm, a couple of midfielders, a couple of wingers. Possibly it, a goalie. It's as unrealistic as it is difficult. I think I, I just... I can't see that. I think there'll be, a, there'll be a workaround. I think there'll be a lot of loan deals, free transfers, things like that, just to sort of pep up the squad. Uh, maybe a few senior players coming to the end of their contracted places. Mm-hmm. We keep hearing about the, the Irish boy at Burnley, what's his name? His contract was running out, the winger, we're always linked to. Robbie Brady, is that him? Right. Guys like him, I think, will maybe come in. But again, are they a post of the signing? Because I don't know if he knows much about Burnley. That, that's that's my 
other worry is the, the transfers because we don't have a head of recruitment. That's why I think a good head of recruitment is going to take at least six months to scout the markets we can use, Ben and Ben Brexit, before they can give a manager a selection of targets. So that's why I think this season we'll be working off scraps until we get the people we want. It is a situation and a half with 38 days to go. Um, and this was the big gamble that we're talking about. Now, when you're looking at the scenario of a Celtic striker coming through the ranks, we've spoken about it as well, Brian. We went further back. We said, you know, we had a, a great kind of tradition of producing strikers, but it stopped. So, I mean, go back to the 80s. The last great striker we produced in the 80s was Charlie Nicholas. You then look at the 90s, and by the way, we know it was a lot of doom and gloom, but the last striker we produced in the 90s was probably Jerry Craney. We then had Mark Burchill coming in, but, you know, his kind of light shone uh, very, very briefly before he left the club. After that, you really are clutching. And, and a few commenters came in and said, what about Sean Maloney? Yeah, Maloney came in and scored goals. He wasn't an out-and-out striker, though, you know? So and and obviously Forrest has scored plenty of goals, but he's a right winger, and I just think it's something that, as you say, it's a more deep rooted issue at Celtic Football Club, and we could have probably said the same in terms of centre halves. You know, since Kennedy and McManus came through, we hadn't really produced anything. Welsh came in, and yeah, I know I, I know he's not a world beater, but I think he's done himself absolutely no harm in the last season. Maybe getting twenty appearances under his belt, and it was the same with the goalies. You know, that's why when when Hazard came through, who was the last goalkeeper Celtic produced? You know, we had fleeting appearances from a whole host of them, but you know, Stuart Kerr maybe Stuart Kerr. David Marshall, and, you know, not not many. And then you ask yourself, how many of these players played more than 50 games for Celtic? So the whole youth structure is something that I hope is part of this restructure. So that's pretty grim. It's pretty grim reading, isn't it, when you look at that and you think, well, we're going to have at least 10 players, 10 first-teamers leaving the club. You can't bring 10 in in one transfer window. Um, so like you say, I think we will be seeing, seeing the likes of Nir Beaton playing in that first Champions League qualifier because of his experience. He will get a game, oh, you know, probably at the back alongside Stephen Welsh. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting, Lawrence, from the first address we got, not only from Ange Postacoglu, but also from Dominic Mackay, where he said that they had been talking about and discussing transfer targets for some time. Um, going back to what Brian says are we just scrapping the head of recruitment? Is this going to be something that uh, is done between the CEO and the manager? Who's actually identifying the players? Listen, who knows, but part of the discussion is kind of as managers. Any manager's got to do his, do his due diligence and sell, they can go. So this is where I think your squad's falling down. This is where we're short. And if I'm coming in, I want to bring... He, he must have favoured players that he fancy, three or four. That these are guys that I want in because I think they can sort the problem. You know, the manager that is not going to be a hundred percent relying on a head of recruitment. It's worrying that we don't have one and don't seem to know what we're doing with it. But surely, the manager's got some players, whether it's three or four, that he's identified and went further look at Celtic. These are boys that can improve. And unfortunately, it's not just improve the squad; it's improve the first team we need just now. Improving the squad would be a bit easier. The problem is we've got so many deficiencies in the first team. Mm-hmm. That's really where we need to improve, and that's what's going to be harder for the kind of money we're going to spend. You know, it's Ryan's touched on it. You know, it might be players coming to the end of their career, whether it's Robbie Brady, other other people out there. You know, end of a contract. 
you might see a couple of them get brought in, you know, there been some whispers of some Man City boys get brought in. It's worked for us in the past, the City Link, uh, it's just been over-reliant on it. You know, we are touching, when was the last time we produced a keeper, a striker, a centre-half? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of that's to do with, had bloated squads, with players that, that, that are sitting on big money, that we buy for two or three million with it, without a manager's knowledge. Mm-hmm. And they act as blockers to developing their own talent. So, you know, it's kind of a perfect storm of a rebuild here, isn't it? We're going, right, we now need to get five or six first-teamers in. We need cover. Where's the cover going to come from? Because we, we really don't know kind of what's under the surface itself. It's just no reservedly, but they haven't really had a test as such where you can, can judge them if they're going to make that step up. Because the unders is too big a, big a jump, I think. Oh, I think so, and I think we've seen that actually. You know, after the the Dubai debacle, Brian, where we were forced to throw a lot of the kids in, and they certainly were not. I didn't think they looked first team ready. A lot of them, um, simply because they're not getting anything from maybe the AD, AG eighteen to first team level to bridge the gap. Um, it used to be bridged by the reserve league. Uh, one name that came to my mind when when Lawrence was talking there about the blockers, and I totally agree with him. We've been bringing in blockers, you know, for years and years. Uh, one of the famous one, Marvin Comper. You know, Brennan Rogers clearly didn't buy him because he only played him for 60 minutes against Greenock Morton in the Cup. Um, but, and I'm not saying this guy should be signed by Celtic or is good enough to play for Celtic, but look at Jamie McCart. Look what Jamie McCart's done since he's left Celtic. He's won three domestic trophies. He's won two League Cups. He's won one Scottish Cup. <coughs> And he's a first pick. He was at Celtic Park, but we didn't develop him from the youth player that he was. I think he was a captain of the youth team. Didn't develop him into a first team player, but he's went away and developed elsewhere. And he is a steady player at this level. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. We're actually, I think we're investing something like two and a half million pound in our youth development. But it seems to be, Brian, that we're supplying all these players to virtually every other club in Scotland. Um, so when we're looking at the, the Colts team for next season, do you see it being more of an under-18s side at that level? And if so, do you think there's there's some kind of, um, you know, disadvantages of that, of an 18-year-old playing at that level of Scottish football? Um, so first of all, just on your point about McCart, um, I mean he's been, that's been a, a heroic season for him. I mean the guy's won a lot of trophies. I think uh, I actually think Stephen Gerrard sits with a Jamie McCart t-shirt on at night because he does because he wins a lot. Show a thing or two. Um, <laughs> yeah, apart from that, we dig. Um, one of the things that, uh, in a sort of more positive way, I remember under Gordon Strachan, your defence was Gary Caldwell, who was at Hibs, and Stephen McManus, who needed heard of. And we went to the Champions League last 16 twice. Darn O'Day came through the ranks. So I think we had a good coaching setup in putting these boys in. You might find a few diamonds. Your question about the Colts um, in the under-18s, I think it's a huge advantage for these boys to be playing. Because if you're an 18-year-old winger and you're coming up against a, a left-back that is a joiner midweek, a, man, a man's man, family man in his 30s, kicking you about the place, you're going to steady up quickly. You're going to adapt how to get around them. You're going to avoid playing up against them. You're going to strengthen your character in any competitive game. A game of fives against your mates is more competitive than a reserve game. And I think if you look at any ex-player, they'll tell you the same. So I actually think it's a huge advantage to Colts. My, my issue with the Colts is, see if you're registered for the Colts and you're playing in League 2, say, 
can the first team call you up during the season? So say someone has a, a it's, we've got a, a centre mid and he's absolutely smashing it and we think, oh, give this boy a game. Mm. Can we call him straight into the first team squad? Or That's a good question. That's a good question. I've had a look on the uh, on the site, the official site, to try and get all the. It's no clarifier at all, is it? Um, because as you say, there, you know, you imagine Celtic going into uh, an important cup game or a, an important European game if we're still in Europe uh, in a few months, and someone gets injured, and as you say, someone's tearing up trees, and you know, you want to then transition them, even to sit on the bench. Sometimes, you know, that's what you need. Um, it's not actually clear at this moment in time. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's something that they're still developing, Brian, as we go along. Um, will there be able to, you know, be, will there be a cross-transference of players from that division into the Premiership? It remains to be seen. Um, but, you know, I think it's the first step in trying to develop the players. And I'm looking forward to next season. Lawrence will be covering the first team, the women's team and the Colts team. So you've got three Celtic teams to support, which is right up your street, Lawrence Connolly. Yes, it's fantastic. Listen, hopefully the women's do well in the Champions League and we get it under the disco lights uh, because what a finish to the season they had. We know if Andy did for that draw with City, who knows what it might have been. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Will we be able to drop people in and out the, the Colts team in at the first team? Because it, it looks like we're going to need to, aren't we? But, you know, we're, we're going to be threadbare. We're cutting back. There's no doubt in that. And maybe the guys at the club are preparing for the effects of COVID which is still to fully hit football teams because mm. who knows how many fans are going to be allowed back in stadiums uh, you know the fans aren't allowed back in stadiums that's that's a killer finance wise uh, and it won't just affect Celtic that could be across the world so yeah I, I think it's time for a slug down we'd want to be able to drop people in and out but uh, it's interesting times isn't it you know and he's not going to be in for two weeks. So Kennedy and Strachan get the, the players to the required level of fitness, which they couldn't do the last season when we were looking at it. It didn't look particularly fit. Mm-hmm. And just going to want them fitter. That will leave three weeks for Ange to prepare for the Champions League, mate. Uh, Betty's signings in. I'm, I'm assuming we'll be negotiating signings at the moment. Surely mm-hmm. we're not going to wait for him to actually walk in the building to do that. Well, you know, Lawrence, waiting until uh, the qualifiers are out of the way before the players come in is something that we've seen in the past. So that remains to be seen. But one final question on the, the personnel side of things, Brian, I'll come to you first. The question of the captain. A lot of Celtic fans are just, you know, taking it as a given that the captain, the captaincy will go to Callum McGregor. Um, I look at McGregor, you know, his figures have been incredible in terms of minutes played, games played over over the last several seasons. Um, is it time to give him even more of a weight on his shoulders by giving him the captaincy? Do you think that would affect him in any way? Or should it go to, to someone else? I've seen a few suggestions out there. There aren't many, let's be honest. Um, James Forrest, I think, shouldn't get it for the same reasons as McGregor because although they lead by example I don't know if their their leaders as such are going to dig out of a hole I can't really imagine them in the huddle given that team talk before the, the kickoff. Um, I thought Ayer had the leadership qualities but he's on his way out somebody uh, just yesterday suggested to me Chris Julien I'm not con- convinced with Julien as a leader, I think um, there's been occasions where he has been spooked in games and ended up hiding. You can't do that if you're the captain. Where are we with regards to the captain? It's a bit of a concern for me. What do you think, Brian? So, <clears throat> I think that 
given Callum the captaincy this season would be a mistake. The reason being, whoever's captain this season has fallen up from Scott Brown. Mm. Regardless of the opinion, Scott Brown is one of the greatest ever captains. He's one of the most honoured captains of Scottish football. If you're following that up and you fail, that's big shoes to fill. So imagine being manager of Celtic and then having to fill in Scott Brown. Uh, sort of being captain of Celtic, imagine, under, uh, following Scott Brown. It, it's so much expectation. I think what they'll do is they'll, they'll bring someone in to be captain. I think they'll, they'll probably bring someone in that they think can be captain, at least for a season. Mm-hmm. And then we'll see how their season goes and then maybe pass it to Callum if he's still there. But I, I think the right thing to give it just now, there's too much over-reliance in Callum anyway and it costs, I think you can see his performance, the dwindled last season. It's maybe because Lenny was feeding the mind-brewing pizzas, to be fair, but... Um, <laughs> and no giving him a game plan. Aye, I, I no telling what to do. Um, so I, I think you'd be harsh at this stage. In terms of the current squad, the reason I think it has to be someone bringing in is because I just don't see anyone as a standout captain. Um, I know we, we Forest has um, done well and stuff, but is he going to be... We have guys like him and McGregor might set examples by how they train and how they play, but mm-hmm. we need someone to be, be yelling at people and bringing people on and encouraging them and communicating game plans and especially post the clog loose completely changing the way we play. Yeah. It has to have a real strong one who communicator. And it would make sense to me to be a centre half, but again I don't think I like Julian, I like his attitude, but he gets too caught up in the physicality of things. Mm-hmm. He wants to always turn it into a battle, and a lot of times that's one of the big fellas' game. You know, he's good in the air, he's solid, but he's no a, a, a brutish defender by any means. And I think he gets distracted and a bit, a bit round up easily. So, so yeah, I think we're going to have to bring someone in. I don't think anyone in the current squad. It's not that they're no fit to be captain, but to be captain of Celtic and to be captain of Celtic after Scott Brown, not for me. <laughs> We've lost a lot of leaders at the football club, Lawrence, and uh, none more so than Scott Brown. What do you do? Do you go with uh, a new man coming in, uh, as Brian suggested? Or is there somebody in there that you think has the, the qualities? I think that they might default to, to Callum McGregor, but I think that would be a mistake. Yeah, I think you've touched on it. We've lost a lot of leaders, you know. Boyata, Tierney, Brown, Lustig all captain material all of them every single one all leaders on the park even Who's Foster Foster they're going to lose big Chris Iyer, leader on the park Who's the leaders on the park now that's left in that mm. squad that yeah. actually would lead even Johnny Hasty to an extent was a leader on the park you know what I mean his commitment his drive where, where is it in the come team so you know it's not just captain we're real there for leaders in that team yeah they're right you need you, you. You look at the great Celtic sides. There was a captain, but there was a few others who could have been quite easily been the captain. Um, you know, you think of the eighties when you're, you've got a team full of people like Roy Aiken, Tommy Bonds, Danny McGrain, and Pat Bonner. I mean, there's four captains right there. And then Murdo you know, Murdo McLeod. All these guys could have been captains, and and you're struggling to actually pinpoint um, a candidate who is a, a an absolute given to be Celtic's new captain. And again, I think that's indicative of the the season that we've just had and uh, the last couple of years at Celtic Football Club. We've already mentioned the backroom team. Some say that uh, he's going to bring his own in. Um, the the chat we've been hearing is that John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan are part of that team. I take what, what Lauren says, Brian, about that, that pair last season. They were part 
of that capitulation. They're working with the players every single day on the training pitch. Players who, you know, Ayeti and Griffiths were still waiting on for you know to, for them to get fit for last season. They're still no fit, and we're in June. They were unfit for an entire season. Now that's down to a lot of different um, areas of the football club. You know, with the with, with the diet and the, and the conditioning and all that, absolutely. But these guys were part of that problem last season, and the likelihood is because we're preparing for the pre-season, the pre-season games, and then a Champions League qualifier. These two guys will still be involved. What's your thoughts on that? So, first of all, I, I just want to caveat what I'm about to say before I get slaughtered on Twitter. I think they should be thrown out with, with Lennon. They should have left the same time as Lennon. They should have left at the end of this season. So there. What I do want to say though is I know the players were unfit and they were the coaches, but they were only the fitness coaches, they were only the, the sports scientists, they were only the things in place that Brendan Rodgers had in place. And if you're judging Kennedy on player performance over the course of his tenure, you can't write off everything he done under Brendan Rodgers, everything he done in Lennon's first season, because last season was terrible. So I agree he was part of the problem, but I don't think he was the problem. I think I touched on it in a kind of joking way, but I think the complete lack of professionalism in the squad was a huge issue to fitness. I think the lack of a modern football backroom staff in terms of physios, fitness experts. I mean, Brendan Rogers, when he was there, was getting people measured for body fat every week. You know, if anyone was over a certain degree, they didn't get a game. Lenny, by all accounts, is not even giving them the tactics. So I think. I think actually what you might have found is maybe if John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan weren't there, it could have been worse. It might not be, but it could have been. And I think as well, in regards to, to Posta Coglu coming in, maybe his backroom team that he's worked with in Japan didn't want to travel from Japan and mm. relocate their yeah. families to Scotland. It may be the case that I, I actually don't, from what I've seen, I don't think he's been told this is your staff, get on with it. It just doesn't seem like that type of character. It, it, it doesn't. I think what he's done is they've said to him, look, these are the guys that are in place. Do you want to interview them and see how you feel about them? And if he's chatted to them, because bear in mind as well, John Kennedy, he done a very bad impression of it, but he did try and imitate Brendan Rogers in terms of the passing, the pressing that type of attitude. Given how Poster Cobbler is supposed to play, I can see why he would want him as part of his backroom staff. Especially because he, he knows the players already and by all accounts, where we, I mean, I don't think we saw it during his games in charge, but the players apparently really like him. So it may be good for Poster Cobbler to have him in place. And that's it as a link. And the thing is, as well, Poster Cobbler might come in, have eight months with him and decide he's not his man and yeah. get him off. So there's that to remember. So, I say, I do think it's going to be a popular opinion. Um, and anyone that's about to give me abuse on Twitter, just relax, put your phone down, I get it. <laughs> but the reality, I actually think it's, it's quite good that um, Kennedy and Stacking will, will be there for at least the beginning because I think he needs it. I think for all the stuff he has to, to do, the massive squad rebuild we've talked about, the massive internal shifting, you know, director of footballs, physios, whatever, and navigate Champions League qualifiers in less than 40 days. Mm-hmm. If you had him trying to find his own backroom staff and relocate him from Japan or start fresh, it's it's no it's not going to work. So I actually think it's, it's much necessity in terms of desire. Yeah. But I, well, I will say I don't think um, the, been, the backroom team has been thrust upon him. 
I think he's been offered the chance if he wanted them. Mm-hmm. And I think he said yes, which is a big difference for Lennon, basically getting told what to do. Listen, I think what you've done there, Brian, is offered a, a great deal of balance with regards to the part of the problem, get rid of them. But I also constantly go on about continuity, contingencies, um, uh, you know, with, with regards to the playing staff. And I don't think that there, there has been many in, in the way of contingencies. What happens if your right winger gets injured early in the season? Oh, well, we don't have a winger. And that, that's been Celtic's kind of game plan. This time round, if someone was to come in with a brand new backroom staff, as you say, you've not only got one guy trying to, to learn the club, learn the game, learn the country, get acclimatised to the country, you've got a whole team. Um, now, we know that some of the, the big managers, the elite managers, bring a staff of 12, 17. We've had up to 17 staff. At this moment in time, Celtic simply can't do that. There's been far too much upheaval. So I, I totally get that. I don't think it's going to be a pop decision but I think Celtic will do it Lawrence with that in mind um, if that's the case do you think that there will also be an internal switch in personnel from uh, perhaps one of the youth teams or uh, someone behind the scenes into the coach team because I've heard a couple of guys being linked to that job I don't think we're going to be bringing in too many new faces where we can save a wage if you like and, and actually swap someone from perhaps an under age team at Celtic move them into the coach team Yeah, it would be like Celtic to do the cheat with it you know, if there's an option that costs us money or an option that costs us nothing what are we going to do? Well, maybe get, you know, it could be good it's building continuity in I mean, as much as Lenny complained about his background Staff and voice the problem. We also said that Kennedy was very, very good. So I'm, I'm not too sure how Larry could have got, oh, it's terrible again, but it was very, very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're kind of going, well, what's it there? We do, you know, in touch, we, we, we need continuity. There's no way that Ange can kind of come in and do all this in, in three weeks when he lands. I know we'll be working on video analysis at the moment. We should be getting the fitness fit. Well, I'm assuming Celtic have measured body fat and VO2 max of players that are still here or as soon as they get back to training and they've got their goals, what they want their VO2 max and their body fat to be, they've probably got 10 yards and a big test, whatever going on. So all, all that could be done at distance to get, get them fit in two weeks, you would think. You know, they'll have an underlying level of fitness. But it's going to leave three weeks, get get to know a new backroom staff or who already know the environment he's in yeah, or yeah. try and persuade people to come and learn everything from scratch you know I don't price touch so you might see him bringing his staff throughout his tenure or people starting to join throughout his tenure I think mm-hmm. done that is he started bringing his staff in you know not everybody joined the day one yeah, did they were, were led in so it could be something that, that we're looking at as much as uh, Kennedy didn't impress anyone with his cameo. <laughs> you know, you were looking going, geez, have you really tried anything different? But a lot of that was, I think we've touched on, it was pretty poor squad management, looking the wings. So yeah, what, what, yeah. What, what were his options? Well, with three number 10s and we managed to get all of them on the park for most of the season in the same game, which was, you know, we could repeatedly say it didn't work. And Lenny's came in and went, oh, Ryan Christie's best position is number 10. Right, but I would be, we all kind of knew he was a right winger, but we were struggling because of that. So, a lot to do, mate. And I think, and right, you know, it's, it's keep them and then let Ansher look at them and see how they work. And, and, and he's got to suss out can he work with them or not, uh, if it's going to be successful or not, and if it's not, change them out. For the Colts team, we kind of heard rumours of John Hughes, 
Uh, and now there's rumours it's going to be someone internally. Now that, that person internally, if they're shown promise, and they'll they take on board Angie's instructions, because I'm sure Angie's going to be saying, this is the way the Colts team has got to play, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they've got to step in here. I yep. need you to be able to follow that, and that's how the tactics are going to be. It could be a smart move, but uh, time will tell. Time will tell. One final subject to cover, and this bleeds into the fans. I mean, over the last season, and I said this last season, um, you know, we've been blamed for a hell of a lot, Brian, uh, particularly from Neil Lennon. Um, and I'm pretty sure, you know, a whole host of other people think it's some in some way attributable to the fans that uh, Celtic season fell off the edge of a cliff. Um, I, I would suggest that the fans are the only... Um, the only factor of the club that that didn't fail the club, people might say, oh, but what about what happened after Ross County? You know, really, over an entire season, uh, one tiny flashpoint outside the ground. Um, I'm sorry, you you can't hang the Celtic support over that. Um, So the fans are very unhappy with various aspects of the club at the moment, none more so than the boardroom. Now, we've seen um, the banners coming up, Counting down the days, I'm pretty sure a few other banners ready, waiting in the wings. And then the final one, not fit for purpose. And there was images of every boardroom um, member. I think it was telling that many people, Brian, online didn't recognise a lot of those faces that were appearing on the banner. I think that speaks volumes for the, the manner in which this board have been anonymous for a number of years. Now, on the one side, I would say, well, they were being led in many ways by a very, very strong CEO in Peter Lowell. And and to be honest with you, he cast quite a long and dark shadow on the rest of the boardroom, to be quite frank. I mean, he was the, the figurehead, wasn't he? Making decisions and it was always him and Dermot Desmond. And we know that officially decisions, uh, you know, CEOs can be taken to task. How much of that was happening in the boardroom? Who knows? Um, is it time? For us to, to reevaluate uh, the makeup of that boardroom, do we require far more diversity, far more creativity? And do you think it's a bit unfair at the moment, some of the flack that Don McKay's getting? I mean, he was part of that big banner campaign, wasn't he? The flack that Don McKay's, uh, Don McKay's getting is poor. The guy's not started the job yet. If we get to, like it's the same with Ange Postacoglu, if we get to this thing next year and Postacoglu's been playing a uh, a 1-3-6 formation with James Forrest and goals and Dominic McKay don't be buying any players then we can criticise at this stage the guy's not in a job so you know to do that it, it, it just gives um, other outlets ammunition to attack the Celtic fans um, in terms of the board yeah I think I think any board always needs diversity diversity of thought diversity of colour diversity of background diversity of gender it always needs that to function successfully at any level doesn't matter if it's Celtic doesn't matter if it's football it always needs diversity. I just want to touch on your point about the fans and fan media. So fan media gets a lot of stick. Axon gets a lot of stick. And I think it's terrible. The reason being, the conversations that we had today we would be having in the pub wouldn't be any different. It's not gender-driven. We have all different points of view. And actually, people being able to sit, I know for myself, watching shows like this, engaging fan media, has been a release that we've not had during lockdown. Mm-hmm. Now, you saw how frustrated and pent up people got during the lockdown. That's why the Ross County thing happened with the fans, because they had no other way of expressing themselves. Fan media allows that. It allows people to actually hear these conversations and chat about them and engage with them. Now, yeah, Celtic fans will fight amongst themselves. 
No, literally, the way other clubs fans do, but they will argue amongst ourselves. But what unites us all is that we love the club. So see, everyone that's on Twitter now and disagrees with me, Paul Lawrence, and wants to call each other names, just remember, we all love the club. We all want what's best for the club. And that's what unifies us. There's a reason Celtic fans are the best in the world. There's a reason for it, and it's because of how passionate we are about the club and how well we support it. Yeah, I get it's been divisive this season. Yeah, I get everyone's been arguing, but lockdowns are a part of that. And I think it's about time people come together and stop fighting amongst ourselves because there's so many more battles we're going to face this season and we have to just stick together, get behind the team and get behind each other. And actually, if you disagree with someone, brilliant. But don't be calling them names. Just disagree. That's all I wanted to say. Well, listen, if that had come from the official channel, Brian, I would have been full of hope for the coming season. Well said, mate. Uh, and I agree with that. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, nonsense written. And as I, you know, disagree with us. I mean, no one on this channel thinks they're right every single time. I mean, you know, Mark Hughes might not have been a great manager for Celtic. You know, no, everybody's going to agree. But don't get abusive uh, because, you know, some people can take it, others can't. You know, and again, with the, with the lockdown, Brian, people are vulnerable. So sometimes that fragility can be pushed over the edge just with certain words that are used that might trigger doubts in their own mind and it could be the root of something that, that goes wrong in their life. So absolutely brilliant. Good words. Lawrence Conley, it's been a pleasure on Saturday afternoon to chat to you, sir. And uh, our newest recruit, Brian, and hopefully we can do this far more often on a Celtic state of mind. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved. Uh, we're looking ahead to a new era. It's Celtic Football Club and a Celtic state of mind will cover it every step of the way join us again on Monday at 12.30 thanks for joining us on a Celtic state of mind Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.